0: The Ortho-PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho-PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today, I'd like to welcome attorneys Sarah Lincoln and Scott Addison. You know, the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think this has got to be true when you're talking about medical legal issues and, you know, lawsuits and that sort of thing. So I was hoping we could talk about best practices, if nothing else, as a way to shield yourself uh, to try not to get in trouble. And I, I came up with some different things that I thought would be important to go over and feel free to add. But, I mean, can you talk about documentation? I know, Sarah, you had said earlier about putting together a puzzle and trying to find pieces. What's it like to go through a thousand pages of electronic medical record that's been cut and pasted over and over?
1: I can't even begin to tell you. So I'm probably going to really age myself, but when I first started in this line of work, the medical records were paper records, primarily handwritten. And so our biggest struggle in those days was reading the handwriting of the providers. And being able to tell, for example, on an anesthesia record, if the little arrow is going up or down to designate where the blood pressure is in that little tiny, you know, grid chart that they maintain in the anesthesia record. Today, our struggle is that if there's an error in the electronic medical record and somebody doesn't catch it, it gets repeated on infinitum indefinitely. And the way that the medical records get produced to us is very different from how you all see them on the computer screen. We're having to wade through a tremendous amount of information now that we didn't ever have to do before. And it really is challenging. But I think, to your point on documentation, the more you can document about what you're seeing and what you're doing and what you're smelling, touching, feeling, the, the better it is to be able to go back and explain it later without somebody questioning whether or not you're enhancing what you saw or did or felt or smelled on that day. The more specific documentation to the patient that is sitting in front of you the better, makes it easier to defend you.
2: Mm-hmm. In a lot of states, including North Carolina and South Carolina, there has to be a pre-suit certifying expert for for all lawsuits. So somebody uh, who's in the same or similar specialty as you has to go through, look at the records, and determine that they feel that there was negligence that resulted in an injury. So if you're if you can document your medical decision making and your in your thought process it can make it more challenging for someone to criticize you when there is a bad outcome. If they can look at it and say, well, I I understand what they were thinking. It it turned out poorly, but it was reasonable. Then um, it's going to be much harder for them to actually bring the lawsuit. However, if you don't document sufficiently, then they can look at it and say, I don't know what the heck this person was thinking or doing. They were just flying by the seat of their pants here. And, And that's, that can open you up for more exposure. Obviously, more documentation is better, but we all know that there's a lot of limitations. There's so much documentation already, and it is a challenge, but it, it definitely can help.
0: So documentation is certainly important. Make sure to cover everything. I think it's important to document your phone calls you have with patients. If you have communication with another provider, put that in there. It, you know, All that stuff's important to have because two years down the road, you're not going to remember this person. You're not going to remember your note. That's all you got to go on. So make sure you you document. Clinical practice. I'm hoping that the majority of our clients or patients aren't litigious. However, it only takes one person. So what can we do to make ourselves less likely to be named? Interaction with people, aside from documentation, just in general clinical practice. What would make the patient more likely to say, you know, I think this care was substandard? I know they have bad outcomes, certainly, but what could protect us?
2: Patients don't like to sue the providers they like. And so if you can engage with your patients, make sure that they feel heard and um, that you you validate any concerns that they have, even if there is a bad outcome, if they feel that you listened and you tried your best, then your, you know, the, the the risk stratification, I guess, decreases in your likelihood of of being sued. Nothing will get you sued quicker than to blow off a patient and and then have a bad outcome. That's that's a recipe for a, a lawsuit, absolutely. So yeah, we we've definitely had cases where multiple providers were involved in the care of a patient. There's a bad outcome and yet, you know, one person or two people weren't named in the lawsuit. And we all scratched our heads until we you know, deposed the plaintiff. And, and they said that they just loved that, that doctor or that, that PA or that nurse. So they didn't want to name them. It, it, as much as you can develop the, that relationship. It, it's It's not always feasible, but that's a big one.
1: I echo for sure what Scott said. I think that's really important. I also think that when the, when the patient leaves the practice and they, they're surprised by some fact that they find out later, in addition to having the bad outcome, that that can also cause them to look back and say, well, maybe they didn't tell me everything. Maybe they weren't being honest all the way around. And I would say in particular for nurse practitioners and PAs, I can't tell you how many times we've deposed people who have said that he or she was my doctor and they don't even appreciate or don't remember being told that there was not an MD taking care of them. There was a PA and then they're angry because they feel like they were not told the truth. So I do think it's really important. Even if your office may tell whoever calls in to make the appointment, you're going to see PA so-and-so your, your patient does, does not pay attention to that. They're not listening to that, so make sure that, you know, your role is clear to them when they come in. Again, if you're acting independently, you're still held to essentially the standard of a physician seeing that patient, but I do think if they know and understand that you are the PA working with a physician supervising you, that 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 comes as less of a surprise to them later on because we've seen that a lot in the cases that we have had is that that's one of the complaints that the plaintiffs have is, well, they didn't even tell me. I didn't understand they weren't an MD. That type of communication is also important. Mm
0: -hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, here we go. I made a mistake. I screwed up. What do I do? Talk to my doctor, but I start thinking this is not going to go well. Where do I go? Do I talk to my risk management? Do I write things down? Do I ask other people what they would have done? What do I do? where do I go?
1: So first things first, don't write anything down. (laughs) You've already written down what you needed to write down in the medical record is my hope. Another important note to remember now that we are in this digital age of medical records is every time you go into the medical record, you leave a digital footprint. So if you start going into the medical record because you're panicked about maybe something having been done wrong, then what happens is in the discovery phase of the lawsuit that we talked about earlier, plaintiff's lawyers now ask for what's called the audit trail that shows every time you went into the medical record, what you looked at, how much time you spent in there. And they will use that against you to say, well, clearly you knew you did something wrong because look how many times you were in the record. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, even if you just are having that kind of moment of panic, I think I might have screwed something up. Don't resist the temptation (laughs) of going into the medical record repeatedly or at all um, until you talk to somebody. So first I would talk with your supervising physician. And may supervising physician knows that you have a concern and they may be able to recommend to you who within your organization you need to talk to next. If you have in-house counsel, in-house counsel is a great place to go. Um, If you have risk management, again, another great place to go. None of these is exclusive. You could talk to any of them or all of them. The ones that where your conversations are most protected so that they wouldn't no one would be able to learn about them later would be with your risk management department and with your in-house counsel. So those would be kind of first tier. But you definitely also do want to let your supervising physician know. Uh, you know, I think for the most part, your supervising physicians have your back and you're going to want them on your side. And and remind them, don't go into the medical record
0: mm-hmm. until
1: we talk to legal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the only thing I'd also add is if if you happen to be faced with a situation where um, you're with the the patient or the patient's family and you have no choice but to talk to them, um, it is okay to be uh, empathetic and to say, I am so sorry this happened. But you don't want to take responsibility at that point. Um, It's a big difference to say I screwed up. Um, I should have done something different, or I caused this, than to say, I'm so sorry this happened. We're going to do everything we can to, to make things better or to, to help improve your condition. Um, and and the reason for that is there is a rule of evidence that um, prohibits a, a plaintiff from using uh, an apology or an, an offer to, to help someone um, to establish negligence. So if you simply apologize that that and show empathy, that can't be used against you to show negligence. But if you say I messed up and it's all my fault, then that's going to be used against you. So uh, again, that's it would be preferable to talk to someone else before you talk to the patient or the family. But if you find yourself in that stressful situation, just just remember that piece.
0: Awesome. That, you know, this is all great information. Great stuff. Anything that you would like to add for our listeners about our discussions today?
1: You know, I would say you asked earlier, what can we do to avoid being sued? Um, what I would say is, you also want to help your colleagues in avoiding being sued. So whether that's other members of your team whether that's your supervising physician or one of the other physicians within the practice who may not be your quote-unquote named supervisor, but with whom you work. And I um, would be very cautious in making comments about the care of other providers, whether they're in your practice or not in your practice. So often we see that lawsuits get filed against providers because a subsequent care provider decides to make a negative comment about the care that was rendered by the prior provider and say, well, I can't believe they did that. Why in the world would that have happened? Why didn't they tell you? Didn't they tell you to go see X, Y, and Z? Um, We see that all the time. Uh, There are some practices in North Carolina in particular that are notorious for that. And so frequently that leads to lawsuits being filed. So please, please, please consider that you may not have the perspective that the prior care provider had by, by just looking at their note or by just listening to the patient, because the patient may not be telling you the whole story or may not recall their entire prior um, interaction with the provider. And it, and it's very often that we see that they don't have good memories. In virtually every surgical class uh, case that we have, um, the plaintiff will tell you that nobody talked to them about the risks of the procedure. We all know that's not true. I mean, there's no way that a surgeon takes somebody in the operating room and then doesn't at least mention, you know, this could cause bleeding, scarring, perhaps injury or surrounding nerves or other tissues, you know, you know, they at least did something to that effect, but the patients don't remember that. So be kind to yourself and be kind to your other care providers.
0: That is so important. That was one of the first things my mentor told me, you know, you can't be talking bad about other people. Okay, well, guys, I I appreciate you taking time uh, out of your schedules. I know you're busy. This is going to be very helpful for our listeners. Uh, Really appreciate you being here today. Thanks,
2: Sam.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Sam. We appreciate it.
0: All right, you guys take care. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistants in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment